This is the Morning Press from Cast Iron Brains, a BrainIron.com production. Here's 11 minutes or so of news for today, Thursday, January 4th, 2024. Donald Trump on Wednesday filed a petition with the Supreme Court to appeal the ruling of the Colorado Supreme Court that he would not be permitted to appear on the presidential primary ballot in that state. The Colorado court had already stayed its own ruling until today, Thursday, to give Trump the opportunity to seek relief from the Supreme Court. But given Colorado's deadline to finalize its primary ballot is tomorrow, and the Supreme Court is extremely unlikely to rule on the issue before then, Trump will appear on the primary ballot regardless of the outcome of the appeal, an appeal that Trump is widely expected to win. This all follows an appeal Trump filed in state court in Maine on Tuesday after the Secretary of State there, Shana Bellows, a Democrat, removed Trump from the ballot. Both the Colorado and Maine decisions rely on disqualifying Trump based on a reading of Section 3 of the 14th Amendment to the Constitution, which bars insurrectionists from holding U.S. office. At the core of the dispute is whether Trump actually engaged in insurrection, whether the clause was meant to apply to the office of president, and whether the adjudication of those questions should be left up to judges, attorneys general, and secretaries of state all over the country. The main case is unlikely to be resolved before a Supreme Court ruling on the Colorado case, which would almost certainly apply to any questions regarding Trump's ballot access in all 50 states. The U.S. Justice Department has sued Texas over a law set to go into effect this spring that would allow state law enforcement to detain and deport illegal immigrants, an authority that has up to this point been held exclusively by the federal government. Associate Attorney General of the U.S. Vanita Gupta said in a statement that the Texas legislation is plainly unconstitutional. Quote, Under the Supremacy Clause of the Constitution and long-standing Supreme Court precedent, states cannot adopt immigration laws that interfere with the framework enacted by Congress. End quote. Of course, the Texas law was passed in the context of a record number of migrants illegally entering the country through the southern border, some two million in each of the last two years, and insistence by Republicans that the Biden administration is not doing enough to prevent the flow. It has been nearly 40 years since the last time a comprehensive immigration law was passed out of Congress and signed by a president in 1986. The Supreme Court's most recent relevant ruling on a law like Texas's went against Arizona in 2012, when the court ruled that state laws that interfere with the federal government's authority over immigration law were impermissible. The United States, together with 12 allies including Australia, Germany, Japan, and the United Kingdom, has issued a warning to Houthi rebels in Yemen to stop attacking commercial ships in the Red Sea or face retaliatory military consequences. The statement concludes, quote, Let our message now be clear. We call for the immediate end of these illegal attacks and a release of unlawfully detained vessels and crews. The Houthis will bear the responsibility of the consequences should they continue to threaten lives, the global economy, and free flow of commerce in the region's critical waterways. We remain committed to the international rules-based order and are determined to hold malign actors accountable for unlawful seizures and attacks, end quote. 
U.S. ships patrolling the region over the last few weeks have shot down dozens of missiles and explosive drones headed toward vessels in the Red Sea, and U.S. Navy helicopters sunk three of four Houthi ships attacking a cargo ship last Sunday. The warning indicates that the U.S. and its allies will begin some sort of limited offensive campaign against the Houthis should the attacks continue. An anonymous Biden administration official told the AP that the military response would be done in a, quote, very smart way that does not potentially draw us in deep to a situation with Iran and its proxy groups, end quote. A study published in the journal Nature Microbiology claims to finally explain why urine is yellow. Scientists have known for well over a century that the yellow pigment of urine is caused by the presence of urobilin, but until recently, no one understood where, exactly, it was coming from. It turns out it's a result of the degradation of red blood cells. Bilirubin is a yellow substance that is produced when red blood cells degrade, which ends up in the gut, where it is then broken down by gut bacteria into urobilinogen, which then degrades into urobilin, which we then pass in urine, and is what makes our urine yellow. Interestingly, the enzyme responsible for breaking down bilirubin in the gut, called BILR, is mostly absent in newborns, and the researchers hypothesize that the enzyme's absence makes the gut less efficient at breaking down bilirubin, which allows it to accumulate in the bloodstream, and likely contributes to the yellow color of jaundiced infants, though they acknowledge that more research is needed. A brief editorial aside, whenever I marvel at all the crazy stuff we have figured out about the world, about ourselves, something like this comes along and I am reminded that everything we know is just the tiniest little pile of nothing compared to what we do not. The next time I'm feeling like I've really got a handle on things, whenever that might be, I'll try to remember, it took until the year 2024 for us to figure out what makes pee yellow. The Washington Post released a poll Thursday morning that claims that 25% of American adults believe that it is either probably or definitely true that the FBI organized and encouraged the January 6th attack on the Capitol. Just 53% of Americans believe that Trump bears responsibility for the events of January 6th, and over a third of Americans say that the election of Joe Biden in 2020 was not legitimate. A not-so-brief editorial aside. 10% of Americans believe that the Earth is flat. 20% believe that they can mentally communicate with the dead. About 3 in 10 believe in telepathy. About 3 in 10 believe in ghosts. Something like 40% of people think the Earth has been visited by aliens in crafts from other planets or galaxies. About 70% believe in angels. And about 40% believe that angels watch over them personally. Something like half of us believe in demonic possession, that the devil or his agents can and do enter and take control of human beings. You might say, yes, but the false political beliefs have a real impact on the world. They affect how people will vote, their faith in government institutions, their willingness to participate in and help improve society at all, while the silly supernatural beliefs are personal and relatively harmless. To which I would say, it really doesn't matter. 
There will always be people who insist that they believe the wrong thing, or a crazy thing, in the face of all evidence to the contrary. The fact that it is misinformation is the whole point. That it is denied, or out of step, or simply wrong, is the appeal of expressing the belief. No amount of fostering a more informed and open society is going to eliminate these beliefs. We just have to proceed on the basis of reality, ignoring the people who insist that the world is flat, even as they rely on the reality of a round earth to accomplish everything in their daily life. You could probably get 10% of people to say, I believe the ocean is secretly made of blueberry jello, even after they'd spent a week at the beach, especially if they know how much it is going to infuriate you that they say they believe it. There's just no accounting for much of what people say they believe, and certainly no controlling it. This is compounded by the fact that we live in a culture at war with itself, a culture of negative partisanship that incentivizes people to hold firm to outrageous and often demonstrably false claims simply because it drives the other side to distraction, or because it flatters or forgives their own side. What is perhaps most distressing about the situation is that any attempt to fix it ends up having precisely the opposite impact, because we tend to just believe the things that reinforce the story we want to tell about ourselves. We seek out confirmation of that story, and we disregard the facts and the reality that contradicts it. Aaron Rodgers, the New York Jets quarterback and free-thinking conspiracy enthusiast, just this week told a national audience of millions that he believes the NFL predetermines and orchestrates Super Bowl matchups months before the games are played, and in more or less the same breath that late-night talk show host Jimmy Kimmel would be on a list of known Jeffrey Epstein associates. It doesn't matter that these things are obviously false— even provably false, because the details don't matter to Rogers or people like him. What matters is the expression of dissatisfaction with the current order. These people are saying, if the world is an unjust or insane or chaotic place, why should I have to play by any of the rules so many others are ignoring? The oceans are made of blueberry jello? All right, man. As long as you keep the lawn mode and drive on the right side of the road and keep paying for your groceries, have at it. Bring a spoon, I guess. As we enter the age of infinite information, the age of all possible beliefs, it's going to be less important than ever to worry about correcting the false and absurd things people say they believe, and instead build a world that doesn't rely on belief at all. I don't know what that will look like or how it's even possible, but we are right on the cusp of a transition delivered to us by ever more powerful artificial intelligence and supercomputers from the age of general democratic access to a public pool of information that we share and learn from to something far different. In the age of infinite information, the age of all possible beliefs, all we can hope to really share is the underlying infrastructure. The experience machine is coming, like it or not, and you cannot hope to program and control the inputs that flit so pleasingly across the consciousness of everyone else. 
Your plea for a common set of facts will be laughed at, or ignored, or simply no longer coherent, no longer meaningfully applicable to reality. Let's just hope we figure out how to keep the lights on before we get there. Now, here's a look at the weather. T.S. Eliot died on this day, January 4th, in 1965. Here's a brief selection from his poem, The Hollow Men. We are the hollow men. We are the stuffed men. Leaning together, headpiece filled with straw. Alas, our dried voices, when we whisper together, are quiet and meaningless as wind in dry grass or rat's feet over broken glass. In our dry cellar, shape without form, shade without color, paralyzed force, gesture without motion. Those who have crossed, with direct eyes, to death's other kingdom remember us, if at all, not as lost, violent souls, but only as the hollow men, the stuffed men. I wonder what Eliot would say we are stuffed with today. And by whom? That's the weather from here. How's it look out your window? The Morning Press is a production of the BrainIron.com multinational media empire. Please direct comments and complaints to brainironpodcast at gmail.com or visit the website at brainiron.com. For a transcript of today's episode and links to the stories referenced, find The Morning Press at brainiron.substack.com, where, if you would like to support this and other endeavors of the brainiron.com media empire, you can also become a paying subscriber. Thanks, and barring the sudden onset of the inevitable, we'll talk to you tomorrow. The proceeding was created with 100% human content.